Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're in a series um, called One Another, and uh, we're looking at some of the One Another passages in the New Testament, um, and we're looking at some of the ways that the Christians are supposed to treat one another. So if you have a Bible tonight, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, if you have your uh, Bible with pages, if you have the app, you can go to the events uh, portion of the Version Bible app, and you can follow along in the notes there. Um, it also will have some uh, of the, the news, like some of the announcements in there, and you can uh, hit the link and go sign up for Go Salt, just real quick. I'm sure you've got your mom's credit card in your pocket, so um, just sign up real quick. Um, yeah, Ephesians 4, and we're looking at some of the ways Christians are supposed to treat one another. There are over 50 one another passages in the Bible. Uh, commands like love one another, forgive one another, stir up one another to love and good works, edify one another, don't provoke one another. The list goes on and on. And tonight we're going to look at, we're going to talk about how we're to be kind to one another. Everyone say, be kind. Be kind to one another. That's what we're going to talk about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. You guys there? You ready? Feeling good? Feeling awake? Ready to learn? Ready to jump into God's word? All right, let's do a little, any stretches? We need to do some stretches? Yeah? Do you need to like do this? You know, like, all right, ready to go? All right, here we go. Ephesians 4. Power stance, 31, says this, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Everyone say be put away with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, I heard recently um, that there's a difference between being nice and being kind. Right? There's a difference between being nice and being kind. Um, people on the West Coast, like on the other side of the country, um, they are nice, but they're not kind. People on the East Coast, like where we live, people are kind, they're just not very nice. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're tire, or you're, you're, you popped a tire in your car, you're on the side of the road. People on the West Coast will be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is such a bummer. All right, see you later. People on the East Coast will be like, come here, you stupid idiot. Let me help you with that. It's kind of how it works. Like people are, they're nice. <laughs> But they're not kind. People over here, they're not very nice. I had a guy help me. Actually, I was helping a buddy like do a roof and there, uh, like fix a roof. And this other guy was there. Probably the meanest person I've ever met. And yet, he's fixing the roof, working hard, super kind, just not very nice. <laughs> so what, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about this idea of being kind to one another. What does it mean to be kind? Or, or how do we treat people with kindness like Harry Styles tells us to do? Three things that we're going to learn tonight about being kind. Three things. Number one, new person is the cause. Others is our focus. And God is our motivation. That's going to, that's going to be what we talk about. I'm going to say it again. New person is the cause. Others is our focus. 
and then God is our motivation. So let's talk about point number one, new person as the cause. The context of Ephesians 4, because we only read two verses, it's in the middle of a thought, because the book of Ephesians can really be broken up into two parts. The first part, chapters one through three, is what Christ has done. It's all about the, the glorious sacrifice of Christ that allowed for us to be new in Christ Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done. And then the beginning in chapter 4, it transitions. Because Christ has done this for you, this is now how we're supposed to live. And the really, it hinges on this idea that you become a new person in Christ Jesus. That you were once dead in trespasses and sins, but you come alive in Christ Jesus. And because you're new, there's things that you have to put off and there's things that you have to put on. And when you say yes to Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And when you become a new creation, it doesn't mean you're a new human. What the Bible is teaching is that there is a new way to be human. Are you with me? When the Bible says you're a new creation, it doesn't mean like you're no longer a person, a human, like this weird angel being or something, and it's not that. You're still a human. There's just a new way to be human. Are you with me? As we follow Jesus, we learn what does it look like? What does it mean to be this new human? It says it like this in chapter uh, 4, verse 20. It says this, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in the righteousness and holiness. This is we are new in Christ. That means we don't live like the way we lived before Christ or the world around us, or we don't follow how we feel. It says you're new. You've placed faith in Jesus. That old life is over. It's dead and buried. And now you have a new life in Christ Jesus. And you don't follow Christ the same way you lived before you walked with Christ. Are you with me? You you don't live the same way. If you did, then we've got a problem. (laughs) The old life hasn't been crucified. The old life hasn't died. So as you follow Jesus, you begin to shed old characteristics, your old ideas, old ways of living and ways of thinking. You take those things off and then you put on the new life. You're no longer following how you were before. Oh, this is how I've always done it, or this is how my parents do it. You're not following the world around you. Okay, what do people on Instagram think about this? Or what do my classmates say about this? Or how do people around me behave in their dating relationships or or, or their friendship relationships or what they do, what they listen to, things like that? That no longer becomes our direction. We have a new way to be human. We begin to follow Jesus. And we're to let the word of God, the spirit of God, and the family of God to shape every part of how we live. I'm going to say that again. This is important. We're to allow the word of God, the spirit of God, and the family of God to shape every part of how we live. We become new in Christ Jesus. Um, yesterday, Chris Carton and I played golf. Shout out, Chris. And um, we both strolled up to the golf course, golf hat on, nice looking polo, 
beautiful looking golf shorts and vans. We were almost there, right? Like we were almost looking the whole part. There was something missing. We were missing our golf shoes. There was like a, a, we had the golf bag, the hat, everything was right except for the shoes. Something was missing. We weren't entirely right. Something had to change. The new identity in Christ actually changes every part of who you are. When you're new in Christ, you don't, it's a process, but at the same time, every part of who you are has got to change. We can't be walking around in our old life if we're new in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? We can't be like, okay, I'm, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still holding on to this aspect of my old life. I'm new in Christ, but I'm still, I've got half of it, but I'm still wanting to do things this way or behave that way or think like this. When you're new in Christ, you put off the old and you put on the new in righteousness and in holiness. And the new identity actually changes every part. Our behavior, our emotions, even our thinking is in Christ Jesus. So how do we treat people with kindness? Well, it starts with recognizing that we're a new person. We're new in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away, and now all things are new. The second way we show people with kindness is we recognize that others is the focus. All right? Others are the focus. Now, this gets us to the specific actions. How do we, as new creations in Christ, be kind to one another? Well, it starts with what you take off and then leads to what you put on, or more specifically, what you do and what you don't do. Pretty basic. Look at verse 31. It says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Really, the instruction here is two-part. Number one, it's to control your emotions. How do you be kind to one another? Well, part one, you control your emotions. Wrath is sort of described as the outburst in a moment. It, it literally means to shout at. That's what that word wrath means. It's like you're screaming at somebody. It's like you're just overwhelmed with frustrations and feelings and anger and you lash out. Anybody been there? You're just like, ah! Yelling at someone, freaking out about some situation. That's the idea of wrath. It's, it happens in a moment. You're, you're just triggered, something sets you off and you let them have it, right? It's your little sibling because they, you told them not to do it and they did it anyways and now, ah, you're letting them have it. It's that, that outburst in a moment. But then anger is a little different. Wrath is an outburst in a moment. Anger is like settled dislike. Anger is no longer I'm responding in a feeling of like, ah. Anger is I'm letting it settle into my heart. I, I, I'm carrying it with me. And then that leads to bitterness, which is then a resentful spirit where you're no longer just upset with somebody, but you're actually, you're holding on to something against them. And the thing with bitterness is that it absolutely destroys you and it hurts nobody else. Bitterness just corrupts you from the inside out as you hold on to things that either they said intentionally or said and didn't mean or whatever it is, and bitterness just begins to corrode at your heart. And the instruction here is he's talking about there's things you have to take off. It starts with, with controlling your emotions. But then it also, it leads to controlling your tongue. Did you notice that? It says, don't gossip. It says, don't gossip. 
Don't talk bad about people. Or, or in other words, don't share things that don't belong to you. <laughs> That's the idea of gossip. It's one, it's kind of the obvious thing, like when you're talking bad about somebody, you know, like, all right, let's share the tea. What is it? Let's, let's come on. I need, to, I need to know what's going on. Tell me what they did. I can't believe it. I saw it too. You saw it too. Tell me. I need to hear more. Like, there's the obvious gossip. But then gossip is also just sharing things that they don't belong to you. That's their story to tell. That's their conversation to start. That, that, that's their thing that they were going to share with that person. So it's to control your tongue. And then it also says don't have malice. Well, what's malice? Malice is to have bad intentions towards someone. It's to think bad thoughts towards them or want to see them harmed or fail or, or, or experience difficulty. Malice is holding things in your heart and desiring to see it happen to somebody else. And to put it pretty obviously, this is not being kind to people, right? If you're angry, if you've got wrath, if you've got bitterness, if you're gossiping, if you're treating people with malice or wanting bad things to happen to other people, it's not kindness, we don't have to define what kindness is to know, like, that isn't it. But then from there, we must learn to put on things that bless others. Part of living in community, part of being followers of Jesus together, part of being a family of, the God, family of God is recognizing that my bad behaviors negatively affect other people. Right? So when I misbehave, because nobody sins alone, you don't just do something and think that it's only going to affect me. It's not going to make a difference to anybody else. No one sins alone. When you do something that you're not supposed to do, there are ripples, there's impacts, there's effects that happen on you and other people. And so we recognize that part of being a part of the family of God is that my behavior, my negative behavior, impacts other people negatively. Are you with me? It's not rocket science. It's like, oh, if I do bad things... Bad things happen to other people. <laughs> but not only that, part of living in the family of God is recognizing that we also have to treat people in such a way that blesses them and honors them. From there, we, we got to learn to put on things. He tells us three things. Number one, he says, be kind. Be kind. That word kind, it literally means virtuous or good, but it also carries the idea of useful or fit for use. I'm going to describe it this way. You can write this down. Here's my definition. To use your energy towards the well-being, care, and blessing of someone else. What's kindness? It's to use your energy towards the well-being, the care, and the blessing of someone else. How can you use your time or your talents, your resources, or even your creativity to be a blessing to someone else? How can you use your energy towards, right, for the furthering of the well-being of someone else, for the care of someone else, for the blessing of someone else? To be kind is to use that energy to think and act towards others. I think we are constantly thinking of creative ways to use our energy for the well-being, the care, and blessing of us, right? We spend most of our time doing that. How can I use my energy to make me happy? How can I use my energy to make me feel satisfied? How can I use my energy and my time and my money and my talents so that I can have the life that I want to live? And so often, 
the more you focus on you, the less happy you become. It's an interesting thing in the kingdom of God that when you begin to serve others and you begin to use your energy towards the benefit of other people, not for the result, but for them and for the glory of God, you find yourself being the well, with well-being and care and blessing. It's interesting how God works, but it's to use your energy for somebody else. He also tells us not only to use your energy, but also to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. It means compassionate. It means it literally means to have strong bowels. That's the word. You're like, hmm, I actually have that. I'm just kidding. Not me personally. That was you thinking for yourself. <laughs> All right, moving on. That's what the word means. The idea is that you feel it in your stomach. The idea is to, to, to feel a, a deep sense of care for something or someone else. Even more specifically, we can define it this way. It's to care about what other people care about or what other people are going through. That's to be tenderhearted. It's to care about what other people care about or what they're going through. It isn't trying to feel what they feel. I think a lot of times in order for us to like feel like we relate to people, if they're sad, we have to like force ourselves into being sad and like I have to feel what you feel. That's not necessarily the idea. Really, it's to care about what they're feeling. It's like I can't necessarily relate to you. I can't necessarily feel that in the same way, but I care that you're feeling that. And I care that you're going through that. And I'm going to stand with you as you go through that. And as followers of Jesus, we should know when others are struggling, hurting, or directionless. And then we should stand beside them, encourage them, and strengthen them. So it's two parts. To be tenderhearted takes two parts. One, it's to know that other people are struggling. It's to know that other people are hurting. It's to know that other people are going through something. We get so fixated, right, on our own issues that we don't even think about what other people are going through. And part of being a follower of Jesus and being a part of the church, being a part of the family of God, is knowing what other people are going through. And then it's to stand beside them, meaning I can't do anything to fix the situation, but I'm here. I, I've got no answers. I've got no solutions. I've got, I've got nothing. I haven't been through that, but I'm here, and I'll keep being here. Or it's to encourage them or to strengthen them. We're told constantly in the life of Jesus that he was moved with compassion. It, it is a care for someone that then leads to action. That Jesus would see the brokenness or the confusion or the, the, the difficulty that somebody was facing. And as he stood there with them, as he looked at them in the eyes, he would be moved with compassion. He would feel it. And then that feeling would cause him to act. So it's being tenderhearted. And then the third thing we're told is to forgive or specifically forgiving one another. Forgive, the word means to show oneself gracious or to pardon or even further to restore another person. The third way we show kindness to others is by forgiving when they wrong us. And notice the tense. It doesn't just say forgive one another. It says forgiving one another. Notice the difference? Forgive one another means I forgave you. I'm done now. I did my part. And if you do it again, uh-uh. I forgave you, check, 
And now I'm moving on. Now it's your, it's your business. you got to get yourself together. Forgiving one another implies that you're going to be constantly wronged and you're going to constantly have to forgive. Forgiving one another. And, when, and it's mutual, right? You're going to offend. They're going to offend. We're going to forgive and we're going to move forward. And then they're going to offend. You're going to offend. And then we're going to forgive and then we're going to move forward. And then it's going to happen again but this time with a different person, or this time for a different reason. And we have to learn to forgive one another. It means we will be wronged, we'll have to forgive, and then we'll have to do it again. And when you're part of the family of God, you will be wronged and hurt by others. Sometimes it's intentional because they aren't practicing the first part of these verses. right? Now, again, remember this series is about one another. It's about Christians. We're not talking about being hurt by somebody that's not a follower of Jesus. We're talking about being hurt by somebody that has claimed to follow Jesus. And I think sometimes we're like, how could they? How dare you? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you're following Jesus. And then we pause and time out and think like, have I ever hurt somebody? And I claim to be a Christian. Okay, so maybe we can't use that excuse. But then, wait, why is this going on? Remember, we're talking about Christians. When you're a part of the family of God, sometimes intentionally, People will wrong you because they aren't practicing the first part of these. Sometimes it's unintentional, right? People are just preoccupied with their own life, their own decision-making, their own struggles or whatever, and they wrong you simply because we're all sinners. Whatever the case, we're called to forgive. Next week, we're going to go, I think, more in-depth on the idea of forgiveness because I think it's a practical uh, thing for us to talk about. But we're just going to stop there for tonight. And our final thing, sort of in closing, is number one, we talked about new person as our cause. We talked about others as our focus. And then number three, we're going to talk about God as our motivation. So how do we do this? How do we put off and how do we put on <laughs> How do we take off bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and gossip and all of those things? And how do we put on kindness and being tenderhearted and being forgiving? Well, really simply, we look to Jesus as our example. That's what it says in verse 31. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Ready? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus has shown immeasurable amount of kindness towards us using his energy, resources, and emotions towards our well-being and care and blessing. And because of Jesus, we have access to forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven, and we can walk in the life that God designed for us to live. Because of what Jesus has done, we have access to these ideas in general. Because of Christ. And so if you're ever struggling to be kind or to care or to forgive, look at how Christ has treated you. What's our motivation? Well, recognize he adopted you. He adores you. He wants what's best for you. He leads and guides your life. He protects you and he provides for you. Christ cares about every aspect of your life. He's forgiven you for all of the times you've wronged. And because of that, if God can forgive us, how much more then should we be able to forgive those that Christ has already forgiven? Sometimes we put ourselves in God's judgment scene, seat, unwilling to forgive somebody that God has already forgiven. 
How dare us think that we're higher than God or better than God to say God's forgiven your past, present, and future sins, but I'm unwilling to let go of the bad thing that you said about me. Grow up. (laughs) If God can forgive us, how much more should we be able to forgive one another and use our energy, our resources to be a blessing and a benefit? And listen to me. Sometimes, oftentimes, God gives us so much with nothing from us in return. Does that stop God from showing compassion and grace and mercy towards us? Oh, it's not reciprocated. I saw you not lift your hands in worship. Unbelievable. I can't believe I forgave you. And yet so often we show kindness to someone or we care about somebody. We use our energy towards them and it's not reciprocated. And what do we do? We're like, never again. Done being nice. It's over. I, I didn't, I tried, I tried, all right? I sent him that text, I did my best, and that's it, I'm done, right? Are, are we glad that God doesn't treat us like that? Are we thankful that God doesn't cross his arms at us? God's merciful, and then when we look at God's grace towards us, we then can extend grace towards other people. When we can become more aware of Christ's love for us, it will then motivate us to love one another. Worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to close with a story from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 18. And uh, Jesus is talking about the idea of forgiveness. He's talking about using our energy towards the benefit, the well-being, and the care of somebody else. It says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Okay, so the context is Peter wants to understand how, how, like really, how much should we forgive someone? How much should I go out of my way to forgive someone that's wronged me? Like seven times? Now think about that for a moment. Let's say one of your friends does something wrong mean to you or gossips about you or treats you bad or whatever. You're like, oh, that hurts so bad. They do it once. And then they do it a second. And you're like, oh, it's all good. I love you. I forgive you. And then they do it again. You're like, okay, I love you. I forgive you. They do it again. You're like, really, man? Okay, I forgive you. Four, five. Six. Like seven is a lot of times, isn't it? So I think Peter's, he, Peter's not trying to get out of it. He's not looking for a loophole like uh, seven times, right? We'll be good. He's thinking like, okay, that seems like a lot of times. And Jesus basically, when he says 70 times 7, he he doesn't mean like literal whatever that math equation, what is it? 490, right? He's, He's not saying that. Jesus is saying take your biggest idea, multiply it by an even bigger number, just like your idea it's so wrong. <laughs> so many, So many more times than that. And then listen, Jesus tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. So the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant, here's that phrase, was moved with compassion, 
released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, so the, the, this master, the, this boss, his employee owes him a ton of money. And he's like, all right, it's time to pay up. And he's like, I, I, I can't pay up. And he's like, all right, that's it. You're out of here. You're done. I'm taking your house, taking everything. You owe me everything. And, and the guy falls down. And he's like, no, 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 please. I'll pay you back. I'm so sorry. I'll get it together. I promise. We're told that the master moved with compassion and says, you know what? Actually, we're good. All debt's been cleared. You owe me nothing. You're forgiven. It's completely gone. I don't hold it against you. I'm never going to bring it up again. It's done. Go live your life. You're forgiven. So, verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart, um, to each of you from his heart, if he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This story is kind of like, it's agitating, isn't it? You're like, what is, what is this dude's problem? Like you just, have, you owed so much money. And like the comparison, like the 10,000 talents versus like the 100 denarii is supposed to be like an absurd difference. It's like, it's like five bucks versus like tens of thousands of dollars. Like it's a huge distinction is the point that Jesus is making. And the, the king forgives him. You're good. You owe me nothing. It's all good. Just go live your life. And then we watch him exit, go find, grab him by the throat, say, hey, you owe me five bucks, give it to me, or else I'm gonna throw you in prison. He doesn't, he throws him in prison. And it's absurd because the master forgives the servant, but the servant or the employee won't forgive his fellow employee. And I think it should cause frustration in all of us. Why would, why would somebody behave like that? But the point for us is to recognize that Jesus has forgiven us of everything. And yet so often, we take it upon ourselves to judge, to not be kind, to not forgive one another. So what's the, what's the call for us? What's to be kind? It's to use our energy towards the well-being and the benefit and the blessing of others. And again, remember, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the followers of Jesus. How we show kindness to people that aren't followers of Jesus looks different than how we show kindness to people that are followers of Jesus. But we're talking about the church. This is like a big family meeting. You ever had a family meeting? Hannah says that to me all the time. Hey, family meeting. Basically, it means like we're going to crack down on the budget a little bit. Can't, can't go out to eat for lunch as often as you would like. Family meeting. All right. Good. All right. Got it. This is a family meeting. We're saying we're going to be kind to one another. We're going to care for one another. We're going to forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us.